Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The way the service is going, I thought I was going to preach January 8, 2024. <laughs> Praise God. It's exciting to see what God is doing. How many of you are excited? Wow. If I had to pick a church to attend in New Jersey, I'd be here. This is where people are discipled, and it's not just hooping and hollering and getting excited and emotion, but there's real grounding in the word, and I'm excited about what I see uh, going on here, so kudos to all of the great leaders that make this happen, all of the small group leaders, those who lead the school of disciples, and of course, uh, Apostle Jide uh, and uh, Bimbolo, and their amazing leadership, and Pastor J.D. has been an amazing blessing to me since we met, and he is now the treasurer of Christ Covenant Coalition, and I told him to keep me out of jail. That's his number one, his number one job, and he's on the executive council, and we have an incredible executive council. We're all very close, so uh, yeah, I'm so delighted to be here. All right, well, you could put the clock ahead by 60 minutes. <laughs> and if anybody wants one of the books and you don't have the money, just take it or just give whatever the Lord lays on your heart. We're here to influence and to help build the body. So it's never about money. It's about blessing you. So you pray and ask God to show you what to give. But there are recommendations uh, based on cost. Okay, so... I also recommend you give me a Pentecostal handshake at the end of the service. I'm kidding around. If you know what that is, I'm just kidding. <laughs> G-Day is not going to have me back after today. <laughs> All right. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that we could have fun together, we could do life together, we could love one another, we could do community, and most importantly, we could be your body, extending your kingdom on the earth. Thank you for giving us that royal priesthood calling to walk in the kingdom and represent you to others. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I'm excited that you're in a season of prayer more than any other kind of experience and more than any other kind of church event, I long to be in corporate prayer meetings because Jesus said in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 that we have to hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Some would say the churches. There are some things God will not speak to individuals, but he will speak to churches. And so those who don't attend or functionally are members in churches, they're limiting the capacity to hear from God, thus limiting their purpose and calling. And so, and then there's nothing more important than when a church has protracted prayer, like you're involved in now, 21 days, culminating in the Tongues of Fire Day, January 21st, when you pray eight hours, I mean, that's going to be awesome. Imagine uh, uh, the 
buildup of 20 days of fasting and then you come together to pray for eight hours. Oh boy, I tell you, man, you pay a million dollars to get in a meeting like that. It's, that's going to be awesome. So uh, what an honor to be in a church that understands the important significance and reality of what happens in the heavenly places that affect earth uh, in corporate prayer. And if you don't understand the implications of corporate prayer, when you get a chance, turn to the book of Revelation chapter 8, and you will see how before the last seal is opened, which opens the fullness of the book of, uh, that Revelation is dealing with, the prayers, the cumulative prayers of the saints, which are in a bowl of incense, are presented to the throne of God before the seal is opened and God moves. And so there's a lot of things that don't happen on earth because there's not enough corporate prayer. And there's a lot of things that do happen because of corporate prayer. And so it tells us in Ephesians 3, verse 10, that the wisdom of God to principalities and powers, those are the angelic hosts of God, and it could be also the fallen angels. The wisdom of God is revealed to them through the church. Somebody say the church. And what does that mean? Wow, that's incredible. What that means is that they are hearing from God through the church, through our prayers, through our declarations, and even through anointed preaching, and what happens in our assemblies. For the fallen angels, they're pushed back and resisted, and their plans abound. And for the good angels, they're loosed to do what God wants. So this is some deep stuff. Now, when we think about the mission of the church, which is the primary reason why we exist besides loving God, because the primary reason why we exist is to love and enjoy God forever, as it says in the Westminster Confession Catechism. But secondarily, we exist to represent him and be his witnesses on the earth. And uh, everybody's familiar with Acts chapter 1. There's five, I don't even know if I preached this here, but there's five snapshots of the Great Commission Acts 1 is only one of them. And of course, we know, especially because of your first principles training, that Acts is a second part of the book of Luke, where Luke talked about what Jesus began to do in the gospel, but in Acts, it's what he continues to do through the church. That is why in verse 8, he says, you will receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Power to do what? Framed by Acts 1.1, continuing the works of Jesus. Now, we all know that Jesus did not begin to minister until the Holy Spirit came upon him. We find that in both 
Matthew chapter 3 and Luke chapter 3. That is to say, even though he was God the Son, he depended on the third person of the Trinity to minister and to alter the reality of the natural world. How much more do we need to depend on the power of the Spirit? Are you following me? And so he said that we're going to continue the work of Jesus through the church in verse 1. And then he says how we're going to do that. You will receive power. Now, many Pentecostals, Charismatics think that this is only referring to speaking in tongues. But I know a lot of tongue talkers who have no power. Even there, there's some comedians who speak in tongues, making fun of the church, and there's no power there, right? And so a lot of Pentecostals have mistaken the phenomena as a sign gift, the tongues, glossolalia in the Greek, to, re, to be the reference or the objective of the power. But that's not so. And so he said, you will receive power to be my witnesses. Someone say, to be my witness. He didn't say you'll receive power to preach. He didn't say you'll receive power to speak in tongues, perform miracles, cast out devils. He said to be my witnesses. So number one, first and foremost, you and your life is the witness. It's not what you do, it's you. You will be my witness, he said. That means you are being watched by your neighbor, by your children, by your family, by your friends. You will be the witness. The mistake is when we try to disconnect us or we and the way we live from our ministry. You got people who preach and prophesy and then they live like devils after church is over. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And so Jesus made it clear we are his witnesses and a witness is someone who represents somebody and or it has to do with relaying or declaring what you have seen and heard. So the second point here, based on this Acts 1-8 passage, is that God wants you to have a personal encounter with him. How could you be his witness if you've never encountered him? It's not just about logic. It's not just about Bible memorization. It's not just about good doctrine. It's not just about good theology. It's not just about going to school and being filled with head knowledge, but in the Word of God, knowing God is never an intellectual experience. It involves the intellect, but it's always experiential. Uh, it's, it's the same uh, use of the term when Adam knew Eve and they had a child, or Joseph knew Mary and they had children after Jesus was born, meaning it had to do with the deepest form of intimacy. And so the power of the Spirit is there so you can have real life encounters with the living God. It doesn't mean that you have to get slain in the Spirit or have visions of angels and uh, be caught up to the third heaven. None of that ever happened to me, actually. But the fact that 
God makes himself real just when you're reading the word or just when you're praying or you begin to weep. You just have a real awe and a sense of God, even as uh, we experience today during parts of worship today. It was amazing because heaven and earth were joining together because the spirit of God was here. And so the spirit wants you to encounter the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and the Spirit, so that you could be his witness and you could live as his witness. I remember one time I met somebody in a conference and they said, wow, I thought it was you. I said, what are you talking about? He said, I saw the way you treated people on the airplane, how you helped people, how you were always willing to take down the luggage for people who were disabled or, you know, women that couldn't do it and all that. And he said, I would marveled at that. And now I meet you and you're, the, you're preaching here. I had no idea I was being watched. That's only a small microcosm of how many people say, oh boy, he says he's a Christian. How are they living? How do they treat their children, their spouse, their neighbor? The, the store clerk, you know, when you don't get things as fast as you want or the, or the cash register breaks down or whatever. You know, we're always being watched. So we can't disconnect ourselves from our ministry. How many understand what I'm saying? And the way to do that is allow the living God to uh, just take our broken pieces, because we're all broken, put them back together in his image by the word of God and by the spirit applying the word in our life. But then he said, I want you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, which represents our immediate culture and context and community. Judea, the region, you could say that's the rest of New Jersey. And Samaria represents a people group that there's historical animosity against because the Jews and uh, Samaritans hated each other. So we're called to love everybody in spite of our history with certain people groups and or people. And then fourth, I want you to be my witness to the ends of the earth. So as we examine that, we have to figure out, okay, wait a minute. God has called us to reach the ends of the earth. Man, that's a heavy-duty job. How is this going to happen? Now, one of the things that the Spirit does in enabling us to be his witness as a church is he gives us the ability to strategically understand the people groups around us, their ethnicity, their culture, their language. He makes us cultural anthropologists and by hard study. And then we could reach the people in our community and beyond. So part of being a witness is that the Spirit of God is a strategic spirit. He gives us wisdom. He gives us unction, but also wisdom. It's not just, the Holy Ghost comes upon me, and I'm just going to preach. No, it's the Spirit gives us the ability to take natural knowledge that we obtain through reading and through observation and self-awareness, and then the Spirit, Spirit empowers us to know how to apply that to various contexts and people. Are you following this? But it's not just strategy. 
This all was just an introduction to now just the beginning of the message. Hopefully I didn't lose you already. The Spirit also empowers us to strategize corporately through giving God space and or opportunity to transform us on the inside and work through us, not just as individuals, but together. And so after this command, Jesus ascended into heaven where he has been since, you know, that time in around A.D. 33. And he ascended into heaven and he is waiting there until his enemies are put under his feet, according to Psalm 110, verse 2. That kid don't like my preaching either. And I'm boring, that poor kid. And the Spirit of God works, as I said, by giving us uh, the mind and the heart to give him space in our life. Now, how did he do that? Well, we go back to Luke chapter 24, the first part of Acts, because you can't read Acts 1 without first starting Luke 24, by the way. And in Luke 24, we see Jesus command his disciples to wait. Somebody say wait. wait. Some of you remember my message in November on waiting on the Lord, Isaiah 40. He commanded them to wait in the city of Jerusalem. Why Jerusalem? Because that was the first assignment related to their mission. They had to first prove that Jesus resurrected in the great city of David so that the influence of the gospel could go to the rest of the Jewish land. So he said, I want you to wait in the city of Jerusalem until, somebody say until, until you're clothed with power from on high. It's carried over in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. What, so when Jesus said, until you're clothed with power from on high, you read Acts 1 and you figure out, wait a minute, what, by what means am I going to get power? Well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. So what did they do in response to the Luke 24, Acts 1 commandments or instructions? Well, they gave God space. They waited upon him. They took his command so serious that they wound up having a prayer meeting that didn't stop for 10 days. It went from Jesus' ascension after 40 days, 40 days after his resurrection, from Easter Sunday to ascension, it was 40 days. And we know that it was a 10-day prayer meeting because it culminated in Acts chapter 2, where it says, when the day of Pentecost, the word Pentecost means 50, or it's Feast of Tabernacles, same thing. He said, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, that's when the Spirit fell. So we understand by Acts 1 and comparing it with Acts 2 that they were praying for 10 days. Because it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 13 and 14, that they were all, including Joseph. Uh, Jesus' half-brothers, 
his mother Mary, and all the disciples, numbering 120, they were all in the upper room in the city of Jerusalem praying in one accord without ceasing. I mean, that was powerful. Now, they realized in order for them to be a witness, they had to pray. Somebody say they had to pray. In order for them to give God space to operate and transform them, they had to pray. In order for them to have strategy, they had to pray. In order for them to fulfill the mission of Jesus, they had to pray. Matter of fact, when you look at the whole book of Acts, if you wanted to, you could call it the book of prayer because you will notice that before every major section of the book of Acts and before every major move of God, there was either individual prayer and encounters with Jesus or corporate prayer. And I'm going to run through that quickly by memory today because we won't have time to just read every scripture. We'll be here all day. And so they waited on God for 10 days. Nowadays, you can't even get people to show up for a one-hour prayer meeting. Sunday morning shows you how popular the pastor is. When we used to have Sunday evenings with concerts and guest speakers, it showed how popular the guest was. But the prayer meeting shows how popular God is. Today, you say, well, we're going to have a prayer meeting. I believe this church is the exception to many, which I'm very thankful for. But in most churches, say we're going to have a prayer meeting. You're lucky if 10% of the church shows up. But if you say, we're going to have prophecy night, everybody comes. Why does everybody come? Because they don't have enough of a walk with God to hear from God themselves. I'm not against the gift of prophecy, but don't let other people do the hard work for you. We need to focus more on knowing God and his ways than getting a word from another person. The focus of the word of God. I mean, just look at Psalm 25 as one example. Psalm 73, Psalm 27, uh, Hebrews 11:6, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. The focus is always show me your ways. Teach me your path. That's why Moses was so powerful when he was in the glory of God for 40 days and 40 nights without food or without water. And he was in the midst of the glory cloud that we see in Ezekiel 1, Isaiah 6, Genesis 1, 2, and the spirit hovered upon the waters. That was the glory cloud formating the whole world. Uh, he was in the midst of the glory of God and he couldn't get enough of God. He was so awestruck by God. You would think that he'd be bored. People can't even be in church more than a half hour without going on Facebook. They spend more time in Facebook than getting their face in his book because they're bored. The problem we have today is we think we know God and we have a familiar spirit. We treat God as my homie. He's just my best friend. We're too familiar with God and don't understand how holy he is. We don't have a knowledge of the holy. 
We have a knowledge of something like it says in Psalm 50. We think the most high Yahweh is just like us. He's not just like us. He's high above the earth. He's separate from sinners. He's separate from all creation. Not even the angels are able to see his face without evaporating. And so if you think that you're bored with the things of God, then I question whether you've ever encountered him. I question whether you know him. I question whether or not uh, you really have a heart to seek him. God never called you to say prayers. Show me one passage in the word of God, whether it's in the Old Testament section or the New Testament where it says say a prayer. The focus is always on seeking God. Jesus said, knock. He said, seek and you will find. Knock. Be fervent like the widow in uh, trying to get justice from the unjust judge. She was persistent. She went after God. Jesus said to James, John, and Peter, could you not watch one hour in prayer? Not even the apostles were able to do it. Pre- Spirit baptism. After that, they had no problem waiting on God. Actually, before that, when they saw the resurrected Christ, they were able to wait on God for 10 days, no problem. And so we have a difficult time trying to give God space. And I propose to you, part of the reason is we've lost our awe, or maybe we never had it. We'd rather watch a football game for three hours. People are looking at the watch right now, waiting for the Giants or the Jets to go on. Shouting, getting excited for three hours. You're not even going to remember who won the game in two months. But we need to have an awe. As a matter of fact, you look in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, you will see the heavenly council, which included humans and angelic uh, uh, creatures saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Uh, Isaiah 6, the seraphim and cherubs were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. They were in God's very presence, and they've been there for billions of years. We don't know how long it's been. They were there before God finished creating the universe. Tells us in Job 38, the stars and the sons of God, basically, which is another word for stars many times, were rejoicing while he finished creation. They were with God for billions of years, and yet they couldn't say anything but holy, holy, holy. They were awestruck because of the transcendent brilliance and ebullience of the God that made everything, my God. So there is a sense of awe that we need to get back where we would say, yes, you're going to pray. I want to be there. You want to be my prayer partner? Yes, let's do it. You want to meet every day at 5 a.m.? Yeah, let's run, man. Let's get to it. Now, hey, let's go jogging at five. Yeah, let's do it. Let's work out in the gym. Yeah, let's pray. Oh, what are you, religious? So they waited on God because they knew that that was the only way that they could accomplish the mission. And if you're missional, you will pray. To the extent that you have a strong sense of purpose, 
to extend God's kingdom to that extent will you be an intercessor and pray. You can't disconnect one from the other. How many understand what I'm saying here? And so they began to pray, and they waited on God, and they didn't just pray. They compared Scripture, as Peter quoted uh, one of the Psalms, because they had to replace Judas. So the book of Acts only gives us a small snapshot. So if they quoted one verse, they must have dealt with a lot of different passages and dealing with certain things, because now they needed a download from God to understand how to preach the gospel post-resurrection. They knew how to proclaim the gospel while Jesus was with them, but now how do we preach it after he rose? And so they needed a period of time so that they could be one, not just unified, but have oneness of heart and mind and also oneness with the gospel message. And so they waited on God for 10 days and that's why this 21-day fast and prayer is so important. God doesn't care if you have unity. Unity is just temporary. Right now, we have unity because we're all here. We have one thing to come. We want to be in church for some reason. Some of you, your wife dragged you out. Some of you, just trying to fulfill a New Year's obligation. Some of you really, really want to be here. So we're not all one. We're here for different reasons. You could go to a football game. And 50,000 people who on Monday would probably hate each other for three hours, they love each other because they're rooting for the same team. They have unity. But God wants a church to be one. And he didn't move until they were fully one accord. And that's what it says in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost fully came, they were in one accord. Meaning God will not release synergy in a church, well, let me just say this. God releases ministry, and God releases calling, and God assigns a church to the extent or commensurate to its synergy, to the, to the extent of its oneness. Meaning, the more one this agape house of worship is, the more you love each other in heart, mind, and soul, not just religiously, not just Sundays shaking a hand, brother or sister, the more you are one by the Spirit and the more you do life together, the more power is going to emanate from this house and the more you are going to be able to represent Jesus, be his witness, and change your world around you. And it will affect your children. It will affect the atmosphere in your house. It will affect the atmosphere in your classroom if you're a teacher. It will affect the atmosphere in any business that you conduct. It even will affect and hover over you because you'll take what God has done on Sunday. Because on Sunday you experience heaven because on Monday is hell all over you. But you could bring paradise. You could bring heaven. You could manifest glory wherever you are. Because the power that is released in this kind of church, when we get together on the Lord's day, is greater than any challenge that you'll ever face during the week. My God. And so, the Spirit led them to pray. And they prayed until the Spirit of God fell. And they spoke in other tongues. And people from different regions of the world 
heard them declare the great things of God in their own language. Why? Well, God was giving them a glimpse of the connection between prayer, waiting on God, hearing from God, and be able to then translate the gospel from that experience into everyone's world. Again, we need to understand there's no way we can reach the world for Christ without the Spirit working. And so we see this 10-day prayer meeting. Somebody say 10 days. 10 days. Now you guys get to go home and be home, so it's a lot easier. Even though it's 21 days, I don't think you're in church 24 hours for 24 days, 21 days, but 10 days they were together, and uh, they were, uh, sh what is it called, shut up or something, or sh what is it called? Shut in. Shut up is better sometimes. <laughs> they were shut in for 10 days. And after the Spirit fell, and of course, Peter preached, 3,000 got saved, they were still committed. The very next day, the very next chapter, it says Peter, James, and John were going to the temple during the time of prayer. So it was not just corporate prayer, but now daily they observed, and we know from Jewish history and how the early church mimicked the Jews because they were Jews following Jesus, is that they met in the temple at 9 a.m., 12, and 3. And, of course, some maybe couldn't have made it, but there was a time of prayer. So that means you can't just depend on the church to hear from God and to pray. You need to also have spiritual disciplines developed in your life where there are certain points of time in the day where you pause, you read the Bible, you pray, or maybe you can't do that. Maybe you just spend an hour or 15 minutes in the morning and then before you go to bed. But we need to cultivate spiritual disciplines in our life. The disciplines of individual fasting and prayer and Bible meditation and, and uh, that kind of thing. And so uh, the early church called these the daily office, the daily office. And so it was not just corporate, but then individually, they would understand it with three times a day where they pray and those who could, they went to the temple. And because they had this discipline, God knew how to set them up. I love it when God sets us up. See, when you have bad habits or no godly habits, you miss a lot of divine encounters and opportunities for yourself, for your family, and for others. But because they had this discipline, it shows that sometimes you don't even have to get to prayer, but because you were intending to pray, because you had a lifestyle of prayer, because you had a habit pattern of prayer, God is able to do certain things and as they were going to prayer, they met somebody begging for money. And Peter said these famous words. He said, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. 
And immediately his ankles and bones became strong and he leaped and walked, caused a, a mighty, mighty revival in that area. Nowadays, in many churches, especially some of these historic denominational churches, unfortunately, we have to reverse it. Silver and gold I have. You know where I'm going. And it got the attention of the Jewish leaders. In the next chapter, we see they were beaten and persecuted for the name of Jesus because of this miracle. So what did they do? They didn't go and complain. This is how most of us in America are these wussy Christians. Oh, God, deliver us from persecution. Oh, God, it's getting so hard because of the culture wars. Oh, it's so hard to be a Christian. How would you like to be in northern Nigeria where people's houses are getting burned and churches are getting destroyed or Iran or China or, you know, all these other places, Right. And they were not like what we see today in America. Instead of saying, oh, God, deliver us from persecutors, and they just got beaten up, they came and they counted it a privilege to be worthy, to suffer for the name of Jesus. And they prayed and they quoted Psalm 2. And then it says that the Spirit of God moved in so much power that the house where they were meeting was shaken. The whole house. And what was the result? When the Spirit moves on you, it's not just so you could soak and feel good. It was so they could speak the Word of God with boldness. You have so many people, they just want to soak, soak. So they go to some of these ministries that are focusing on prayer. They come back self-focused instead of missionally focused. They come back thinking, oh, about my needs. Why? Because prayer should never be, and worship should never be disconnected from mission. Even when Moses uh, saw Yahweh and he said, "Who? what is your name? Tell me who's sending me. He said, I am that I am. He saw the burning bush that was burning and not being consumed. But what was the, re the reason, the result God appeared? It was to send him. Ezekiel chapter 1, an experience with the living God. Next chapter, he said, stand up like a man and I will speak to you. In chapter 3, he sent him. Every encounter in the Bible, there's so many I could go over. The result was God was sending us. So when the Spirit came in that house and shook them, they were filled with boldness and spoke the word of God. Are you following this? We see in chapter 6, a crisis came out. There was ethnic rivalry or division. So that stuff is nothing new. It's not just in America. Because those widows that they were taking care of, because the church was the welfare system, there was no welfare. The widows whose husband died, they had no one to support them. Those widows who only spoke Greek were being overlooked by the, by the church. And they only served those who spoke Hebrew. Hebrew. 
Isn't that amazing? So Peter was faced with a crisis. Immediately, he could have just said, okay, apostles, let's just do all the work until we figure this out. No, Peter said, there's one thing in my life that is a non-negotiable. He said, it is not right for us to leave our primary assignment of prayer and the ministry of the word to wait on tables, appoint seven men who will do this because their assignment was such that they couldn't do that. And let me tell you something. There should be a non-negotiable in all of our lives, and that is our time with the Lord. We also see something in Acts chapter 9 where Paul had an encounter with Jesus. What did he do? He spent three days praying and seeking God, and while he was doing that, Ananias came and got a word, got him healed, and prophesied over his calling. Acts chapter 10, we see Cornelius. He's not even saved. And an angel visited him because every day he prayed. Don't tell me God doesn't hear the prayers of unsaved people. Just look at Acts chapter 10. Every day he said his prayers. He sought God with the knowledge he had. And angel came to him and said, Cornelius, God, heard your prayers and they've come up as a memorial before the throne but all the prayers that you've been praying for your children for your family for your loved ones your neighborhood they accumulate they become memorial prayers and at the right time suddenly when no one expects it the Lord will come and answer that prayer Acts chapter 12, we see uh, Peter and James arrested. James's head was cut off, so what did they do? In the home of Mary, the mother of Mark, prayer went up for Peter without ceasing in a home. Next thing you know, God sent an angel, released him. Peter would have been dead, and we wouldn't have heard much about him if there wasn't prayer in that home. Acts chapter 13 the elders and leaders of the church of Antioch. What were they doing in a meeting? Strategizing, planning? They did that, but this is their priority. It said they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And then the Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. They were praying together as leaders and fasting and ministering to the Lord. And because of that, God released strategy that sent Paul into his ministry and if it wasn't for that we don't know if we would have had a third of the books in the New Testament and Paul who planted 31 churches in 31 cities Acts 16 Paul was going with Silas to a place where they could pray so they went to a river where they supposed was a place of prayer and they saw Lydia there whom the Lord opened her heart as they shared the gospel. This is another example of God setting us up because of our habit patterns of putting God first. And Lydia's heart was open. Guess what happened? She started the first church in Europe, in Philippi. And the gospel went all over Western and Eastern Europe from that point on. Because... They went to a place of prayer. 
We find in Acts chapter 26, Paul was almost killed in a shipwreck. We know he was praying because he said an angel appeared to him. He was contemplating while everybody else was freaking out, worried about living. He said an angel appeared to me, told me, God's got you and everyone who stays on this ship. And finally, in Acts chapter 28, we see that Publius, who was the leading man in the island of Malta where that ship ran aground, his father was sick with dysentery. And in those days, you die because they didn't have the medication because of dehydration and all the other things that go along with that, that sickness. He was sick with dysentery. Paul went to him. He knelt by his bed. He prayed. Somebody say he prayed. And he laid hands on him. And he was healed. That healing began a healing revival where almost the whole island of Malta got saved. To this day, they remember Paul and there's a very strong Christian presence out there in the middle of the Mediterranean because Paul prayed and knew what to do. How many people want to be people of prayers this year? If that's you, why don't you stand up? And if you want, I know there's not a lot of room, but try to make your way to the front to make that commitment or stand in the aisles. I want to release the spirit of prayer on you. I feel the Spirit of God in this place. I know many of you are prayer warriors. But I'm believing that today God's going to enlarge your heart. He's going to give you a greater anointing of prayer. Some of you already travail, but God's going to increase the travail of your soul so you could be satisfied. There are some people, their main ministry, like Anna, who is in the temple day and night with fastings and prayer, serving God. There are some people, their primary ministry in their latter days will be praying. And some of you, I feel, listen to spirits, there's going to be a large percentage of people, and boy, this is unusual for one local church, maybe 30% or more, I'm afraid to say what I'm getting. God is going to call you as his special watchman on the wall. Isaiah 62, he said, I've set watchmen on the wall who will not give God rest day and night until he establishes Jerusalem as the praise of the earth. Some of you are going to have that watchman anointing of prayer. And some people who... uh, People like Reese Howell, man, you need to get his life story. Reese, R-E-E-S-E, Howell, H-O-W-E-L-L. Get uh, the life of John Hyde, Praying Hyde, um, and some others I could just remember off the top of my head. Let me tell you something. Many of these people had to work regular jobs, but the spirit of prayer was so great upon them. They would get up groaning in the middle of the night, They couldn't even sleep, and they would only get three or four hours sleep. They'd pray three to five hours every day. 
Some people didn't even consider that they had a good day unless they prayed through. That's what they would consider a success. They could care less about Louis Vuitton and all these other things. My day is defined by, did I do what God called me to do? Did I get in the secret place? The Bible says that through the blood of Jesus, we could come into the most holy place by a new and loving way made open through the veil. That is to say his flesh. But even though we have the legal right, very few of us are dwelling in the most holy place. God has called us to walk in that holy place. The church fathers call that unison. Where we walk experientially throughout the day with God in the presence of God, even when we're working. There's a spirit of expectancy in this house. I'm believing that God's going to transform your life now. That a spirit of prayer is going to come on you. Why don't you raise your hands? Begin right now to cry out to God. Just go ahead. You don't know what to say. Just pray in the spirit. But go ahead. Come on now as one. As one. One crescendo of seeking God together. Of praying. Why wait until January 21st before the tongues of fire come? Why not have it now? Come on. Let's cry out to God. Cry out like your life depends on it. Because it really does. David said, I sought the Lord and he heard me. And he delivered me from all my fears. Yea, those who seek the Lord, their faces will never be covered with shame. Their faces are radiant with the glory of God. When God shows up, nothing else matters. When God shows up, throw out your plans. When God shows up, you will never be the same. Your life will be changed. Your life will never, ever be the same. He will affect your mind. He will affect your intentions. He will affect uh, your legacy. Instead of leaving a legacy of mediocrity, you will leave a legacy of power, a legacy of faith, a legacy of transformation, a legacy of generational blessing, a legacy of a generational dynasty. As that grandmother waits on God in the secret place every morning for hours, praying through her grandchildren. She produces uh, somebody like Timothy, who was a third generation Christian, not even raised by a believing father. But he had a grandmother, Eunice, who prayed. Eunice, Eunice, who prayed. Oh, some of you are like Eunice. Some of you are like Eunice. Some of you are like Eunice. That's it. That's it. More, 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 
The spirit is getting heavier and heavier and heavier. He's coming down, great. Oh, Lord. Oh, oh. Rend the heavens and come down. Rip the heavens open and come down. As the fire causes the water to boil. Come down and let the mountains quake before your very presence. The spirit of prayer is coming on some of you right now. Travail, travail, groaning, groaning. Let it happen, let it happen right now. Don't fight it, don't resist it. Oh, groaning for your family, groaning for restoration, groaning for the city, groaning for the church, for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in the church. We don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself prays within us with groanings 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 too deep for words and he who knows the mind of the spirit discerns the will of God through these groanings now right now begin to pray for your family any estranged children, backsliders, whoever the Lord puts on your heart, right now begin to lift them up. Begin to pray. And those of you who are new to this and you don't have much of a prayer life, don't condemn yourself. You have to start somewhere. Let your prayer be God. Fill me. Open my mouth and I'll speak. Let your prayer be God. I receive your spirit. Change me right now in your presence. Change me, change me, change me. Amen. Now before I sit down, just listen to this. Since the Lord wants me to read this, try to put yourself in the narrative. Dive into the portal of that which you're already experiencing. You see, what's going on now is the angels, the heavenly council of God, the cloud of many witnesses, as it says in Hebrews 12, is here with us, involved 
with the church on earth. So the church in heaven and the church on earth right now are joined. And I want you to picture what's going on now. This is only a glimpse of one such encounter with the living God. Isaiah wrote this, chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, highly exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, those are angels, each with six wings. And with two wings they cover their faces, and with two they cover their feet. They couldn't look at the glory of God, even though they were angels. And with two they were flying. They were part of the chariot throne that carried God wherever he wanted. And this is one time we see this in Scripture. And they were calling to one another. They weren't talking about sports, current events, but in the presence of God, they were mortified with their own infinite, their own finite being. And they cried out to one another, listen to this, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Whole earth is filled with his glory. Let's all say that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Let's say that one more time. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds of the temple shook and it was filled with smoke, the glory of God. And Isaiah, who is in the midst of this, a mere human, says, Woe to me! I'm ruined! For I'm a man of unclean lips! And I live amongst the people of unclean lips. But my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongue with the tongues from the altar. And with it he touched my mouth and he said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin atoned for. Then, watch this, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, Here I am. Send me. Somebody say, Send me, Lord. Send me to my neighbors, to my family to my co-workers. In closing, this is only one example of how you could never disconnect worship and prayer and encounters with the living God from your assignment to represent him and preach the gospel. Pastor GD. There's a heaviness in the air. The atmosphere is thick. God's presence. Lord, we thank you.